You're listening to I'm Cast and You're Not. Doc, after two weeks of Morphville, it's been a it's been good, but I'm a bit Morphville'd out. Are you? I, yeah, uh, I pine, I yearn and pine. I went last week and it was difficult for me because I have this thing about Morphville because I hadn't been for six years after going over there with a horse as an owner thinking it was a fair dickum unbeatable moral. Uh, Name? Is it Ungrateful uh, Ellen? Uh, it was Ungrateful yeah. Ellen. She was in the South Australian Classic, which had followed on. She ran a pretty good race in the Schweppes, the Oaks, the 2000. And she was about... Seven to four. What's what say two ninety? About that. Uh, and unbeatable. Like seriously unbeatable. Jockey, C. Williams, and one of the great slaughters of Willowed. all time. The original Willowed. Uh, yeah, got Willowed. And, and to, I mean, I love Craig, and he's a fantastic mm. jockey. And, and funnily enough, he came back to the well, it was in the Manning, and he came back, and before he got off the horse, he just looked at us and said, "Sorry." It was just one of those. She actually. You know, she actually jumped too well for her own good, and he just got caught in a limb. And anyway, you can't fight back with a sorry. It's like no, my, no, no. my one in every ten year. When you know when you've done something so wrong that there's no way out other than saying this. Yeah. And if you can generate a tear, you look at the accuser, which is usually your wife. Nobody feels as bad about it as I do. Yeah. Even if they're coming at you with a knife, it stops them in their <laughs> track. You know, I said I yearn and pine. I yearn and pine a bit sometimes for the old days yeah. of Vic Park. And Cheltenham. Can you... People forget there were... Because it's not a big city, Adelaide. Thibberton. Hang on. But that was three, the original. Three, yeah. three metropolitan tracks in a small city, yeah. city like Adelaide. And, of course, had the straight track at Vic Park. And Wow. Just, Even Cheltenham... Um, we spoke to Stubby Holder about this a few weeks ago. Cheltenham was sort of the number two and Vic Park was the number three. Well, more, came more up with the nickname Stubby because it's a good one. You've got to w- say it's it's clever. It was a trainer who walked past him at track work one morning and said, Oi, Stubby. And then he goes, he must be referring to me. Yeah, you know? it's, so, like it's got a bit of Lou Richards about it, that, uh, that nickname. It is a bit. You're right. Three was too many, but one's too few, especially yeah. with that skinny little Morpherville Parks track. and. We were talking about the South Australian Derby a couple of weeks ago, and I did a bit of Googling and came up with, I mispronounced it badly, and all the, all the residents of Thebiton had a go at me. The original track in Adelaide was Thebiton. You mean the, the original track? The original. And this okay. is going back to about the 1860s. The first South Australian Derby was run there, and it's now one of those plush inner city, leafy suburbs just north of northwest, I think, of the, the cricket ground, the footy ground there. And it made me think, got me thinking, got me thinking about... Teleportation, and you know that fantasy yeah. we all have. You teleport you, a lot, do you? I wouldn't you like to teleport an hour before the the first, at the end of the quarter, an hour. An hour you know how stupid you know, what you said is. You know, as a kid, it was one of those stupid dreams you had. You, I wish I had the Sporting Globe already. The results yeah, one, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, then you, I always think, if I had fifty cents, what could I turn it into if I had the full result? Next time you teleport, just go back fifteen, twenty years, and. Just see if you can recall that hundred bucks I gave you at Sandown that day. And that I told you I've snipped every member of the Friedman family, and that's why I'm... You know something? That, seriously, is a great claim to fame. That's something to be proud of. To Did actually it, get... Didn't get the mum. Or, I know, Del, and she's tough. She's toughest of all of them. Don't worry about that. I know, Del. But to get all four brothers... I mean, that's a full deck. That, that's that's used, a great result. I used to be a hell of a snipper. I used to be able to look really sad... Uh, on like the click of her fingers, like mm. really, really desperately sad, and that used to get a few. Never got the Freedmans. That wasn't the tactic with the Freedmans. Yeah. They never sympathised with. Do the you know, sad. speaking of not paying, 
Uh, is it you this week, by the way? Yeah, I'm casting you or not. Which one? Which role are you playing this I, week? I'm forever in the... the okay. We're, yeah, we're cast in certain roles there You forever, know there's excuses for not settling. And this hand on my heart, I saw this happen. So this is, I don't know, 30 years ago at Caulfield. And a bloke, this Lebanese punter, who was taking a knock, was one of the... Um, one of the interstate was it Harry Donald or one of those bookies. Anyway, he owed him, and and his excuse was he pulled out a newspaper clipping of a bombed out building in Beirut and said, "I own this, and I'm cast. That's that's, that's all I own. I was hoping to sell it, and I'm cast." I thought, well, that's not a bad one. There's a rapscallion that we both know. I'm going to get onto what. I'm going to get onto this teleportation thing, but there's a rapscallion that you and I both know. Good word, rapscallion. He lives in the old Epsom estate, but no names. Yeah, I know who you are. No I, I automatically know who you're talking he, about. There was a bookie who had a clubbed foot, right? He yeah. had a clubbed foot. And uh, this particular rapscallion hadn't been at the races for about 15 years because he owed the club-footed bookie, say, five grand. Mm-hmm. Didn't go, and he was one of many bookies that this rapscallion owed money to. But... He was invited to the races by a mate whose son was having a Bucks party, and it would have been extremely disrespectful to not go for this Bucks party. So, head bowed, he walks into the track, and the club footed bookie says, You. <laughs> He's like, My white whale. You. Yeah. You. He goes, Where's that five grand you owe me? You. You. And he sort of shuffles over to him, and the rap skeleton looks down at the club footed bookie's clubbed foot. Looks up, and the Brapscallion's 160 kilos, by the way. Yeah. Looks up at the club footed bookie and says, I'll race, I'll race you for it. it. I knew that was coming. That's very funny. Yeah. Hey, I listen, listen, I'm going to reel off some names of suburbs, and you're going to tell me what the hell I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And this fits in with the Barton or Theberton and yeah. our uh, pining for mm. um, Cheltenham and Victoria Park. Box Hill, St Kilda, Brighton, Richmond, Albert Park. You're keeping up. Heidelberg, yeah. Ivanhoe, linked together. Kensington. I keep going. Aspendale, Fitzroy, I keep going. Epsom, Mentone, Ascot, Batman's Hill, yeah. Williamstown. That's about 20 My names. first guess would be they are suburbs which you've lived in and been booted out of. Half of them correct. The rest of them, at some point in Melbourne's history, and I know that history lessons aren't everyone's cup of tea, but I cannot believe that Melbourne had... This was about 20 names I just reeled off. And at a certain point in history, in around the 1850s, 60s, 70s, they were all racing at once. You see, at once. They were all not, active. Not tracks that open and shut and another one sprung up. Even yeah, Ascot. You're, you're telling at, me they raced in Brighton? They raced at Brighton. You ask me any one of those, and I'll give you a little bullet point. And we're going to have a chat to Pat Carey a bit later on about a little pocket of Melbourne where they had four tracks. Yeah. They were all basically linked together. In the seaside. In the around se- the seaside. Around the seaside. Uh, tell me about Brighton. Because right, I'm, I'm aware of, obviously, Fitzroy and Williamstown and my old man used to tell me about the Richmond Pony track. Tell me about Brighton. Brighton. Just down the Brighton. road. Well, it starts with St Kilda. They're all linked. So I'll start with St Kilda because it says, this is the best one, actually. St Kilda's Peanut Farm Reserve <laughs> in Blessington Street was home to a race course from 1847 to 1868 and hosted the annual St Kilda Cup. As suburban development surrounded the race course in the 1860s, the race course closed despite some local opposition. Then, just down the road at Brighton's Elstonwick Park, another race course operated between 1882 and 1891. Its grandstand was dismantled and re-erected at the Junction Oval for the St Kilda Footy Club. Fair dinger. Mate, they're all amazing. Like yeah. The Richmond one, 
I had a lot a of mo- these were proprietary. They, they were, pro- you know, proprietary John Wren, tracks. John Wren was privately owned tracks uh, in full competition with whoever the controlling body was, which I'm assuming the VRC. Uh, there was constant battles between the proprietary tracks and the the official tracks. So uh, they, well, you know, they raced all these bizarre sort of uh, events there. They did. The, the the Richmond one. There was an old. This is one of the only nice things I've ever done for another human being in my <laughs> life, and it was. Through my ex and her brother, they used to go to old people's homes and take the elderly out to the RSL for lunch and then deposit them back, and that was all mm. lovely. And there was an old guy called John Benson, who, if he was alive today, would be probably about 110. Mm. So this is about 15 years ago when he was the most dear old man. He was an old pastry chef, and he was in this towering, horrible old person's home in Springvale. We used to pick him up. We took him down to Lee Friedman's one day because he wanted to meet Maccabi Diva, so that's how long ago it was. And he told us about how when they used to race whippets in Richmond, yeah. he used to paint them different colours <laughs> to pull off rorts. Like the black yeah. dog became the white dog. Mm. I know that's probably hard to do. I think the white dog becoming the black dog is probably easier to do. And it just conjured these memories. And I remember reading a book once about Shadow King, who was always playing second field at a far lap and yeah. ran all those Melbourne Cup placings. When he won the Williamstown Cup for the fourth time, they say that the cheer of the crowd could be heard across the bay at Brighton, <laughs> where they had a bloody racetrack also. Yeah, so, and he was more popular. More popular than Farlap at the time yeah. because he was so courageous. And we were talking earlier about um, how Farlap, because of the Great Depression, that was the legend grew because of the desperation. That was my but, oh man's theory about part of the reason for Farlap's iconic status was the fact that he won the Cup, 1930, depths of a dreadful depression, people who, what, he was flipping the coin odds, 10 to 9 on or 10 to 9 against, I can't remember, and people had their last on him. What, if it was a shilling or sixpence or two bob, that's what they had on Farlap and double their money. So part of the part of the Farlap uh, mystique. So people out there who are thinking, where the hell were these racetracks? Because you didn't know where Williamstown was, were you? I, we, uh, we should, I, I was aware of, that yeah. it was a big, I mean, the Williamstown Cup was a famous race on the, on the calendar. I was aware of that, but geographically where it was, despite the fact I'm an ex-taxi driver, no idea. Yeah, well, you know when you drive through Williamstown along the shoreline yes. and you get to that sort on of... On the res- Esplanade. Yeah, the reserve at the end, which is quite empty, and there's I think there's a gun club and things yeah. like that. There's vast open precinct. There's a That is, and if you if you took a, a drone shot of that now, you'd still see a vague outline of the race. Okay. So Richmond, I think, was down near where Channel 9 was. I mean, Channel 9 is no longer right. there. Do you know something else, Matthew? You just pepper me with names. I'll tell you where the Richmond one was. The old Richmond race course was in an area bounded by Bridge Road, Stall Street, and Westbrook Terrace. Think of how tight that mm. suburb is. Just west of the Channel 9 oh, studios so it, at Bendigo Street. So it has remained an injecting room. Yes, and the tiny trotting course... Is that for tiny trotters or is it a tiny trotting course? Was a tick over a thousand metres long. It was a straight trotting yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. How the hell does that work? Now I don't know. Uh, there are. I mean, I've, I've have read about uh, Richmond in the past and some of the stories coming out. I think that may have actually been a John Wren track. Uh, fascinating stuff. Which I suppose begs the question: Is there a proper sort of um, collection of Victorian racing history that's readily available. There's an argument going on at the moment about records, which, yeah. I mean, the records are appalling. Let's be frank. It is... Well, Brett Pribble still reckons he wrote 100 winners that year, yeah. and it hovers on 99 yeah. and a half. It is. I mean, if you want to look up, look up a Caulfield Guineas winner, like Bin Bigger, or, yep. you know, there's v- virtually nothing about him. And how there's not a record about our 
And visual archives. If you Google Hariba, who only raced 20 years yeah. ago, you'll get, one, you'll, get one, you'll get one replay. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's something that needs to be ad- addressed, I would have thought. And why does racing footage grainy up so quickly? Like, if, if you go back through the archives of AFL games from the 1940s, it's clear black and white, but it's, visu- it's visually yeah, okay. I, if you Google Kingston Town winning a race in the Rawson Stakes in 1980, you can barely... It's so yeah, I, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. What other, you know, you know the, 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 the sad thing. Okay, uh, where was... Did um, you say Batman's Hill? <laughs> I was going to say uh, Albert Park. I'm going to give you a little pricey. Batman's Hill. Listeners, just imagine Melbourne now and sort of work out where the hell this was. Melbourne's first race course was on Batman's Hill, the site now occupied by the Southern Cross Railway Station. It's not a hill. It's flat, isn't it? <laughs> and the rail yard west of the CBD, the first meeting was in 1838, predating Flemington for a couple of years. 1838? Yeah, yeah. Now it's gone, long gone, then Flemington took over. Williamstown began in 1859 and then closed down. There was one at Croxton Park, wherever the hell that is. We've done St Kilda, Box Hill. The Whitehorse Hotel was built on the corner of Whitehorse Road and Elgar Road in 1851, complete with a white wooden horse on its roof. And Bob Ramage, who rode far, uh, Carbine to win the 1890 Melbourne Cup, rode a winner there. Fair I him. just can't visualise all this. Yeah, you realise, don't you, that in 30 years' time, people are saying, remember, the, you know, there's a race course there at Sandown where that housing estate is? You know, they used to race there. Don't get him started. He's going to join us soon, Paddy Carey, and he'll be coming off a long run about Sandown. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I No, do I understand why? I, I think I understand why. Do I agree with it? Nah, nah. Well... Anyway, let's let's not go there. Um, well, the history that we've done says you, you don't last forever with these racetracks, but some should. When I remember Woodend, you know, that's not that long ago, Woodend. I remember going to the Woodend races a stack of times. Always heavy, track heavy. Tight little track? Uh, tight track and, and cold. <laughs> cold in wintertime. Pea soup fog as you drove there, because I had a horse train. Every time I went to go there, we, you could barely get there because yeah. of the pea soup fog to yeah. get there from Bacchus Marsh. How many, yeah. Balan had a racetrack. You yeah, can still course. see the, art, the outline the, of the Balan racetrack. Still have the Balan Cup, don't yeah. they? What's the weirdest race meeting you've ever been to? I think a surprising one was Istanbul. I went to the races in Istanbul uh, and was shocked at what a modern track it was. And there was the broadcast crew was out. Is it the near the Blue Mosque? Uh, look, I, don't, I, mean, I went to the Blue Mosque, but um, couldn't be near the Blue Mosque. It was actually a, a great, great race, a, gr- a great racetrack. It was terrific. And this is a true story. I just I thought oh, I'm going to have a bet. It was a small field of five or six. I thought, well, I'll just try and pick one out of the yard here. So I picked this. And they're all, they weren't bad-looking horses. And so I go to the tape booth. There were no bookies. Went to the tape window. And I held up, I think I went like that, number four, held up four fingers for number four because no one spoke. I didn't speak Turkish. So I'm assuming she didn't speak English. And got the chocolates. And it was about a six to four chance. So I've gone up. And you know that horrible sound when you present the ticket? And hit, <laughs> like rejected. Zero. And I remember coming back to Australia. I still don't know what happened. Came back to Australia and told the story on radio. And somebody rang in and said, she'd given me number five, horse five, that when you hold up four fingers, the thumb is a given. Oh, it's an assumed... It's, a, it's, an, it's an assumed... <laughs> so it was number five. So See, your local customs, you failed there, but... One thing I noticed, I went to the races in Athens and I went into a betting Athens. shop in you Colombo. Know, speaking of Athens, before you go on, I went to Athens Airport because my uncle lived in Greece. So I went and visited him on more than one occasion. And they had some sort of betting shop in Athens Airport. And when I walked in there, the Warrigal Dogs was on. 
And I thought, wow. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. That's that, a long way to go to see the Warrigal well, Dogs. Um, the ones I remember are Izmir, which is south of Istanbul, Colombo in Sri Lanka, and uh, the Athens races, right? Yeah. And, and each occasion I thought I'd had a tidy collect, but I only got back my stake. But all of one of them was because they just decided whether they wanted... In Colombo and Izmir, they decided if they wanted to give you a profit or not, and only gave you a stake back if they didn't have enough money in the <laughs> till... And I remember there was one time, I called it the Black Manicato. I got this Quinella. I was with a couple of mates, and we got this Quinella. And you know when Drachmar was like one to a thousand type thing with... I got this Quinella up, and I thought, boys, this is just going to pay for the trip. I know we're on the bones of our ass, and this is this is all going to work out well. I reckon I had a bet of, say, a million Drachmar, and I got back a million Drachmar plus about five other Drachmar. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I remember going to... Uh... A bloke rang me up from the Port Douglas Crocodiles Football Club, which was a controversial club because, you, know, you know, they got banned. You know, there's huge punch-ups between them and North Cairns. And I think 50 players got life or whatever. <laughs> Jason Love may have been the coach of North Cairns on, on one of those big punch-ups. Anyway, get rung up by the Port Douglas Crocodiles Footy Club to MC their prior end-of-season awards night. So when is it? Oh, it's Saturday after the grand final. So, oh, well... That's Turnbull Stakes Day. Tell you what, if you can find a race meeting, uh, I'll come. So when he rings me, he says, oh, yeah, there's a race meeting in a place called Gordon Vale. Now, about six months prior to this, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I part-owned this horse called Racy Dancer. Smurden. Smurdy. Smurdy. Uh, Mark Hunter and I and a few other blokes were in this horse. And he won about three or four races, <clears throat> particularly uh, Mooney Valley night meetings. And one day, Racy Dancer, as these old geldings who just said, you know what, boys had enough. They ain't trying anymore. And he, no matter what, he wouldn't work properly, didn't try. So you do what you do, you sell them to North Queensland. So he got sold up there for four or five grand or whatever it was. So anyway, six or eight months later, I go up to Port Douglas, uh, where the function was, but they take me to the Gordon Vale races, which was the nearest track. It was maybe an hour, hour and a half out of Cairns. So it turned out to, it was Gordon Vale Cup Day. And it was a goat track, you know, like it was dirt and no outside running rail. And, but it, uh, it was Gordon Vale Cup Day. So, you know, I got the race book there. I'm flicking through the race book. And, oh, number seven, Racy Dancer, the old bloke. <laughs> so, Was it an emotional reunion <clears throat> type thing? Not, it wasn't for the trainer because I've gone out the back there. I <laughs> thought, I'll go and say day, you know. said, oh, day. my name's John Rothfield from Melbourne. I used to own that horse. Bloke, without turning around, he was saddling the horse. Yelled out, nice friggin' skunk you sold me. <laughs> How'd it go? He ran second last. Uh, but, you know, so he wasn't trying up there either. But that was Gordon Vale, so that was one of the more remote. I mean, there's more. Remote. Hearts Range was one. I remember it was three hours of corrugated, uh, you know, those those dirt roads yeah. that are corrugated all the way. And all we did was get there just reverberating the whole time from that. Isn't it funny where they end up to? Like, someone wrote a story the other day about. The horse that beat gold medals eight years ago in a two-year-old race or something at um, Warrnambool, they traced his career in his last four or five starts were places like Gordonville, <laughs> Gordonville, Gordonville uh, Bowerville, Birdsville, all you those know, sort of places. I never, it's funny these things because gold medals, of course, all the attention he rightfully got on what a race that was. Mm. Um, but the day he won the two-year-old, you know he was seven to four in a week or be right, I'll be correct. He was two eighty into two dollars. Yeah, right. That day, he was a big go when he won his 
on the boo there. All round quality horse, yeah. At that age, yeah, and to think, absolutely. and you look at it, well, that's 2011 or whatever, no, it was, 2012. Okay, that is. That is unbelievable. No. Seriously unbelievable. Did, do they, should they commemorate those two great rivals with the bronze statues yeah, down really. there, do you reckon? And, and you look at, you go through his, I mean, Simon Wiles just done such a fantastic job. What's he had in the last three years? Ten starts? Yeah. Twelve starts? Yeah. He's just been looked after, nursed, molly coddled, and look what he's done for uh, for racing and for his owners and, uh, and for Simon and Billy. Just great stuff. Yeah, it was that, that was... You know, I was thinking after after Warnable, I was thinking how much I miss jumps racing on metropolitan tracks. And I look, I'm not a mug. I, I get why, you know, turnover no good anymore and the whole look of it, if you like. But winter racing is just, if you ask me, it's difficult. There's yeah. not much, you know. Flemington does well. Got, yeah, they do with yeah. the winter championships yeah. and all. Don't, don't get me wrong. And all those championship races that they have culminating in that meeting. But, I, I mean, I'm, I love jumps racing. I've always loved jumps racing. And it was such a competitive sport. And I'll tell you something else. As a punter, the best to bet on the good by a hundred miles. But I was there the, the day that it ended at Flemington. Um, I was up in the terrace. My horse. Was my, it your horse? My was horse it? was one of the ones. In fact, well, I, they were running too fast, and I reckon so. It was the Grand National. Maybe ten started, and I think two finished, and a couple perished. Yeah. And it was. I remember walking out of the track that day, and everyone had that bowed look. And I'll tell you knowing. something else about that day. It was concrete. Yeah, it was a good three, mm. and I'd, I'd out with it was a good three. And I know that they wanted water on the track, and they didn't give them water on the track. So that was a. A terrible day, really, and I, I you know, those, those steeple chasing at Mooney Valley, you know, those jumps. Well, the Hiskins I mean, was cox plate. Wasn't it? it was yeah, yeah. spectacular yeah. and exciting, exciting. Yeah. I, I actually think they should uh, they should bring the jump back in the straight now because the quality is, and <clears throat> I mean, yeah, there were issues. Of course, mm. there are issues, but it's been addressed. They've done a fantastic job. The AJRA and all the jumps people, the trainers, the joggies, and the industry in better educating the horses, better educating the riders has been such a boost for the game. And it's a good game now. It's a safe game. And relatively. Relatively safe. Well, there's always going to be. Well, yeah, a, I agree with you. I, mean, a horse I, I still saw a horse break down at, at Caulfield on yeah, Saturday. Well, you know, horse like, has still died every year at Warnable since 2016. Yeah. And that still sits a little uncomfortably with me. A little uncomfortably. You know, given... One death in the Melbourne Cup caused change of the rules globally and all this sort of... Yeah. I'd like to see the jump back in the straight. Keep them on. I don't, I don't think on. that'll happen. I'll tell you where they would never have presented a good two was on the, the lovely deep sand tracks of uh, Deep Bayside. And uh, Pat Carey represents Bayside. He is Bayside. Yes. He's as big as Bayside. <laughs> Aspendale, Epsom. Paddy, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Matt. Good morning, Doctor. Yeah, Pat, we were talking before, and we just we we we're in amazement as to how many racetracks there were here in Victoria back in the day, and you're pretty familiar with a lot of them. Yeah, look, I grew up in an area not far. I tell you, what, half a mile from Mentone Racecourse, and uh, it was that puts us in close proximity to um, Epsom, so we're right in the heart of it down there in those days. But so we we did our Googling, and we came up with about 20 racetracks, and 15 of them were all operating at around the same time. And just your little pocket, because you were an institution at Epsom for a long time, but Aspendale closed in 1931, and my mail is that was the Darrow track. That was when you <laughs> didn't even have to wear a collar and tie. Epsom, yeah. 
closed for training in 97, but for racing before that. Morty Alec and then Mentone in the 60s. How did so many racetracks coexist so close together, Paddy? Well, I suppose, uh, well, in the case of, say, Aspendale, Lou, Lou Robertson, uh, uh, he, he had stables closer to um, Epsom than he did Aspendale, but he used to walk his horses to Aspendale to work them. And in those days, I believe it was in Lincoln. There's a, a road called Lincoln Road just down from the Aspendale station, and it was sort of basically uh, most of those tracks were had, had a close proximity to the to the, to the railway stations, really, I suppose. Were they under the control of any particular body, uh, Pat, or were they just all free-for-all? I believe there was an association called the Victorian uh, Racing and or the Victorian Trotting and Racing Association, which I think VRTA, and I think they originally... They were uh, originally owned the land that might have been out where um, what, what is now Standown and might have been bequeathed back to Melbourne Race Club. So, they had a few horses, and obviously there was all the privately owned courses of John Wrens and mm. and that that were close to the town, which might be Fitzroy, Ascot, Richmond, and, and and the likes of that. But gee, there seems to be, you know, Williamstown was another course. I think Cheryl's uh, father, uh, Jack Ma, he won a Williamstown Cup with a good mare called Saxony. Um, but there. You know, of course, I get Alston. We've even had a course, I believe, at one stage. And I, I, I don't think they always raced ho- uh, thoroughbreds either, Pat. I mean, my old man used to tell me about the pony races at Richmond, uh, where nefarious individuals would actually weigh down the back of, of horses to make them appear like they were ponies, so, so they they were allowed to start. Uh, I, I've read seriously. I have read about goat racing in, in Melbourne. I, I, I tell you what. I, I, some I, some I, call I, it benchmark fifty eight racing, <laughs> Pat. But uh, I knew there'd be a, be, a, a, there'd be a benchmark fifty. You super elitist. Yeah, I knew there'd be a benchmark fifty eight reference. But as soon as you said goats, and, and I'm a, uh, monkeys on greyhounds. Who could yeah. forget? I've, I've got a photograph of it. Yes, them. yes, it did happen. It did happen. Paddy, did yeah. they come to the races? You know how they were all on the same train line: Aspinall, Epsom, Morty, Alec, Mentone. Did horses arrive at the races on railway carts? They did, and uh, they used to have like. My, well, I can tell you directly, um, Leo O'Brien, who was an Australian test cricketer, right, uh, in the Bodyline series, Leo O'Brien used to run the horse yarding at uh, Mentone Railway Station. And I believe the carriages that they used to use for uh, transporting the horses, you know, to the races in those days by train, were beautifully fitted out. They were like luxurious. They were very luxurious horse floats, you know. So mm. it was a, it was the main mode of transport back then to get horses to and from the races. Um, and you know, therefore, I think the proximity of railway stations to race courses was, you know, the the key link. It's amazing if you tr- if you imagine what it was like. And you're too young too, Paddy, but you remember Epsom like the idea of. Horses going down back streets and back alleys and crossing main roads. And everyone's got a story from the olden days of a horse that had a near miss with a, a semi-trailer or something like that. And and even the, the activity down at Mordialic Beach, which is very uh, gentrified these days. What what would the scene have been like, the morning scene and, and all that sort of stuff with all that horse activity? Well, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not that far removed from it. I can remember horses working at Mentone Racecourse. Um, obviously, I've got, you know... I used to go to school some beads, and we'd in those days some beads had a, a you know they started at grade five, but there were horses still 
on the streets in, in Mentone then, and I used to go past Bob Wistead's stable, you know, Ray McLaren's and uh, Deirdre McRae's. You'd go up the road and there'd be still still horses because it was going through the transition at that time where the, the, the course was closing and uh, most of the horses were getting moved to, um, to Epsom. But, you know, there was plenty of horses in the streets uh, in Epsom at the time, but Mentone had was was uh, closing and uh, Waymouth had moved and Mick Wilson had moved to uh, Bendigo and you know there were there was still there was still evidence Murrell was Murrell was still training there there was still plenty of uh, evidence of stables in the area. Was there a pushback from uh, the trainers at these places, particularly Epsom, uh, when the announcement was made that they were going to be forced to to, to shift? Did they attempt to push back at all? What I can tell you, Doc, is that, see, a lot of these trainers, uh, there was no such thing in those days as, you know, training on a track in the club owned the stables and you rented off them. If you wanted to get a start as a trainer, you had to rent stables privately mm. or you had to own them. And, uh, you know, in the case of, uh, in the case of Epsom and, and Mentone, um, you know, they were assets to it. They were a trainer's main asset and, uh, to have the to have the facilities taken away from them, it rendered their assets uh, to to basically land value, you know, or to a house. So, you know, of course the trainers were going to be up in arms, and there was Mentone was a beautiful uh, layout for a track, and for anyone who who knows that area, it was it was a sandhill, very much like what Randwick was like. So the drainage was superior to natural, you know, it was very natural to draining soil. And, you know, it was the same at Epsom. A lot of the trainers that trained at Epsom, uh, the Maloney's and, you know, and Ross and that, we, we fought really hard to keep Epsom because, um, you know, we had vested interest, you know. We had a lot of money invested in our stable. And basically, you know, when, 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 the, uh, when the facilities were sold, you know, we, we lost heavily out of that. I remember Mick Price's first good horse, Uncle Chuck. Remember the old lean-on stables? They were everywhere at the back of Caulfield, Flemington and, and Epsom. So everyone had the house at the front and the lean-on out the back with 30 boxes. Before Toll Bell or after Toll Bell? Before Toll Bell. His name was Uncle Chuck, Paddy. And Uncle yeah, Chuck... I, remember, you... I can tell you what, Uncle Chuck was by Americano. And I'll tell you what, David Marchman and Stan Harris. I only can remember the horse because I'd also trained for those guys. And Mick and me were... Well, we were you know, pretty close because we were living in the same area and worked doing the same thing. Um, that little stable had five boxes and three yards. And Elf Boyce was a little uh, old trainer. He originally had that property. And and uh, it might be urban legend, but my my memory is that Uncle Chuck, his his residence in that little property with the house was around the hills hoist. He used to <laughs> he used to pick around the hills. Paddy. Uh, and even the, the, the Mentone racetrack, we took the kids when they were little to the Duck Park. We knew it as the Duck Park. And then we saw these commemorative plaques and mm. stuff with all these photos of women with parasols. And we realised that the Duck Park was the centre of the old Mentone racetrack. Paddy, yeah. all these years later, after Epsom, are we going to see something similar, the next to go, to be Sandown? The, the jungle drum just keeps beating louder and louder for mine with Sandown? Look, I mean, it's a, it's a subject that requires plenty of time. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a an asset that's owned by the club right now. If the guys that 
the guys that developed Sandown into what it is today would be rolling around in their graves if they knew. But in my lifetime, that, you know, don't forget, it only opened in 1966, that Sandown was going to have been and gone, you know, much in the same way Waverley did. But, um, you know, Sandown's the best purpose-built race course in our time. Most of most racetracks have been built on, you know, flood plains or, or, or you know, in, in, in a regular spot, let's put it that way. But Sandown's the best. Sandown's the best appointed race course in Australia that probably makes it the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. Unfortunately, I think, Pat, uh, when it was built in 66, they could never have envisaged that land being worth what it is today, which may just sound the death knell for it. Pat, uh, great to chat. Um, we thank you for your time. Thanks very much, Doc. Thanks, Matt. I love Pat Carey. He's just a big, cuddly bear of a man, isn't he? And he's such a history. He's such a historian. He knows. Yeah. He's like Robbie Lang. He just remembers stuff. Yeah. You know. And we need, as you were saying earlier, like the history of record keeping in racing is so pathetic that you almost need human oracles like yeah. Pat Carey. Having been in the wider sporting media for the last whatever, you know, you can find out. You can go to the AFL tables and see how many free kicks Collingwood got against King Kilda Round Four, nineteen eighty-two. Yeah, I mean, it is everything is there. The minutia with the AFL. There's no reason whatsoever why you can't look up the his, the racing history of a horse who won the Caulfield Guineas. Because it dis- and, and you can't because it only if it's only in people's memories, then it disappears. If once that generation goes, it may as well have never happened. Some of this Imagine stuff. Not knowing how many Group Ones some of these jockeys have ridden. What a joke! It's an extraordinary joke. Speaking of a joke, guess what I'm doing <laughs> this week? Uh, settling. No, no, no. Not a practical joke. Just a small level. Uh, Bacchus Master Barra, Barra, Barra to Cooper Petey. <laughs> I know these towns well. Cooper Petey to Alice Springs. Three days in Alice Springs. Maybe get oh, to the yeah. Hearts Range races. It's the road trip odyssey. It's nice. Like, there's got to have been movies made about this because it's two brothers and a father. Right. So I like that. We're That's off great. at four o'clock in the morning Saturday. So I'm not going to be... I'm disappearing. You'll be off at some golf course no, somewhere. No, I'm going to New Zealand. I've been to two or three Alice Springs Cups. One of the most spectacular settings you will ever see with the McDonald Rangers behind the course there. It is spectacular. All right. Well, hopefully I'll come back with some tales from the road and you'll come back with some Kiwi tales and we'll we'll reconvene. Look forward to it. Good on you, Doc.